morning. At January of last year, 2022, I had many plans and dreams of how the year was supposed to go. My girlfriend, now wife, was starting her new job as a doctor, and I was about to finish seminary school, start a new position here at CBCP, and we were also getting married later in the year. We were looking forward to establishing our home and starting our new partnership together. All of that was in sight for 2022 at the beginning. Yet it turned out there were so many unknown twists and turns that changed the tone of 2022 for us. In the same way, this year will probably be the same for you and for me. We are bound to experience things never before and set foot on territories we've never before. The question we need to ask, the answers we need to get, is how can we face a year not just with blind optimism, but supreme confidence and peace? What about for those who are starting the year with weight already on their shoulders, a thousand pounds, maybe a medical crisis that has yet to be resolved, an unresolved family issue carrying over from last year to this, heartaches, problems, financial issues, these are all legitimate and real. How can we as a people, struggling with all these real problems, have the strength and courage to set foot onto 2023? Last week, we started our book study on the book of Joshua from the Old Testament. Each week, we will be going through the story on a chapter-to-chapter -chapter basis as we retell the story of God in Joshua's time. And church, every time we study the Bible, the goal is not simply to find an answer for our problems or to become better people or to come out of the church feeling better about ourselves. Rather, we study the Bible because in it, we are seeking to explore who God is, what he is about, and how that changes how we relate to him and to life in general. Let me repeat that. We study the Bible because we want to explore who God is, what he is about, and how that should shape our interaction with him and with life in general. The Bible introduces us to God, and God changes how we interact with our lives, the realness of where we are. So before we dive into our chapter for today, let's do a quick recap of what has happened so far in the book. Whenever we watch K-drama, we always ask, what happened before this? Ano nangyari? In the same way for us to properly understand episode 2, we must start with what happened in episode 1. In this case, we have to ask, what happened in chapter 1? In chapter 1 of Joshua, we see that it was Moses dying, and it was a transition to Joshua. What happened? First, God reaffirms his presence, his promises, and his provisions to Joshua, the new and appointed leader, to his people. Second, God charges Joshua to be strong and courageous. And this wasn't a charge that was based on nothing. This charge was clearly rooted in God's promised presence, that he will be with them and will never leave them nor forsake them. In the last part of chapter 1, we see Joshua mobilizing and readying God's people to take on what the Lord has promised to give them. 
So as we read Joshua 1 last week, we noticed a few things that I want to re-emphasize. Review lang muna tayo ng emphasis. First, it was the Lord who approached and initiated the conversation and the covenant renewal with Joshua. Moses has just died and the people were without their heroic leader that they've known for so long. It was a new and upcoming leader. And as the story unfolds, we are introduced to a God who initiates commitment and covenant renewal with his people. Regardless if the leader has passed, regardless if it was a younger leader, it is God who initiates commitment and covenant to his people. He does so because of his faithfulness to us. And he does this by raising up Joshua, giving directions to Joshua, and promising to deliver Joshua and his people through his leadership because he has promised to do so. So we are introduced to a God who is committed to his word and is true to his people. Who is committed to his word and is true to his people. Remember that. The phrase, be strong, our second emphasis, the phrase, be strong and courageous, is mentioned four times in around 12 verses. This is key. It was the author intentionally packing it in a tight space. When you read it, it almost sounds like a rhyme. You always hear, be strong and courageous. You keep on hearing it as you read these verses. So it was truly an emphasis because we will notice that the instruction of being strong and being courageous is rooted in something else. As we read around those verses that mention that phrase, be strong and courageous, it is always coupled with the promise of God being with them. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is with you wherever you go. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous because I am with you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous. It was presence packed with strength and courage because he is present with us, because he promises to be present with us. Then we can be strong. We can be courageous. So we are introduced to a God who does not just promise or command his people to do this or do that. But in the same breath, his promise is packed with assurance of his presence and participation. When I was a boy, during my summer breaks, my dad used to tag me along to his bank errands around the Binondo area. And maraming banko dun. And being a young boy, he was always wanting to involve me and train me up. Talking with people, dealing with, with others, with business um, things. But I was always afraid. I was young. And these things to go to strangers, walking up to them, and uh, doing errands for them, it felt foreign. It felt very uncomfortable. It felt scary. I had many what ifs. What if pagdating ko sa banko, when I arrived at the teller, she would ask me questions I have no answers for. When I, when I make a mistake, what should I do? I had so much what ifs and anxieties that I would usually be hesitant to even leave the office grounds. Most of the time, I would only oblige and allow myself to go given one condition. I would ask my dad to tag along. Dad, as long as you're with me, I'll do this. Just be there with me. I'll talk to the teller as long as you're behind me. Knowing that he was there was enough confidence for me to say yes to go. In Joshua chapter 1, this is the same instance that we encounter, the same experience that we encounter. But this time, it was not the son asking the father to go with them or persuading the father to go with them. 
Instead, we encounter a God who initiates, who assures the son, Joshua, that he will be with them. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Joshua, sasamahan kita. Joshua, I will never leave you. Joshua, I am with you. Therefore, go. Be strong and go. I am there. I am with you. Kasama mo ako. So God was the God of reassurance. The God was God of presence. The God was God of affirmation. Joshua 1 shows us that this is the kind of God we have and we serve. So we can say that the theme of Joshua 1 was that the Lord's promises, his presence and his provision inspire strength and courage to face life's uncertainties. We will look at Joshua as he moved forward after this assurance from his heavenly father, his direct commander. So we will lead into Joshua chapter 2 with that in mind. God's promises, presence, and participation inspire strong and courageous commitments, strong and courageous obediences, and strong and courageous discoveries. Let's take a look at these one by one. The first, God's promises, presence, and participation warrants strong and courageous commitments. It says here in verse 6 to 7, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Remember in chapter 1, the commission that God was giving to Joshua was the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham, Moses, and their ancestors, a land that was promised to them, the promised land. At this point, the Israelites had come from years of traveling from Egypt, escaping Egypt, and yet they have not entered what was promised, the promised land. So God was reaffirming to Joshua that he will be the one. Joshua, ikaw ang magpapasok. You will be the one to lead them into the promised land. And in chapter 1, verse 1, we read that Joshua was Moses' assistant and was with Moses all those years of going round and round in the wilderness. At this point, it was not Moses anymore that was leading a people. It was Joshua. And God was telling him, you're about to do what Moses was not able to do. So what do you think Joshua was feeling? Would you have, what would you have felt in, if you were in his position? 40 years na kayong umiikot at marami na rin namatay, marami nangyari, maraming kahirapan. So maybe you would hear sentiments from a normal human being say, saying, Lord, sinabi mo na yan eh, narinig ko na yan dati kay Moses. And there might be some doubt in his own capabilities. Hindi nga nagawa ni Moses eh. Paano kaya ako? He had just, just seen Moses die on the way. He witnessed the challenges, the difficulties, the heartaches of leadership. There must have been doubts in his mind, his capabilities. Kaya ko ba to? How would he respond, do you think? Would he trust? Would he fail? Would he turn back? Would he fold? Will he act on what the Lord has just declared to him? Let's read the next verses in chapter 2. 
And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. In chapter 2, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. In these verses, we encounter what Joshua's response to God's covenant renewal was. Joshua, spiritually leading his people, staking his leadership on the direction, on the word, on the, on the leadership that God is leading him to follow. He took what he had received from God directly and declared it to the people. He did not just declare a message, he also made preparations. He took action to stake everything, his plans, his priorities on the reliability of what the Lord had just declared. So maybe you might interpret this to say, ah, Joshua was a man of action. We should be men of action as Christians. Yes, that sounds like a good message for a Sunday service. But is, that is too simplistic. And I would like to push that a bit further. What truly moved Joshua to act? What was the author trying to surface about this immediately commanding, preparing, and mobilizing? Was it Joshua's inner confidence that made him do this? What is his self-belief? Was he simply a visionary leader? Is this about leadership? Remember, we study the Bible not to become better people, not just that. We study the Bible to explore and seek who God is, what he is about, and how it must change the way we interact with him and we interact with his world. So the book's flow of thought was to expose that, that Joshua was moved to act because he was responding to his belief, his trust, his confidence in the word of God, in the power of God, and in the promise, sureness of God. How else would he have been so unapprehensive and committed to a certain direction? God's promises, presence, and participation inspires strong and courageous commitments. You see, for Joshua at this point, there was nothing yet certain. He was a new leader. The people had yet to trust him. He had yet to show his wares. He had only one piece of authority, the Lord's word. And the Lord's word said, I am with you, Joshua, and I will give you the land. Through your leadership, the people will enter the land and I will never leave you nor forsake you. All that Joshua had was God's promise, presence, and participation. So here at the start of chapter 2, we are immediately shown a spiritual leader who oriented his missions, his life, his plans, according to the word that the Lord had declared and commanded. Rather than seeking confidence to the clarity of the road ahead or the plans, his confident commitment was in the character and ways of God. This doesn't tell us much about Joshua, maybe a little bit, but it tells us more about God. God is worthy of our strong and courageous commitments. I'm confident that most of us here know God and have known him for a time now. Yet there are also many of us who are looking into 2023 probably tired and unmotivated. It's just another new year. The roads 
as we get older, seem unclear. It's more foggy. It's heavier. There's more responsibility. It's grim. It's lonely. Maybe life has worn us down. But here in the book of Joshua, we are reminded that we have a God who, despite the death and the endings and the sorrows we experience in life, continues to be committed to us, to be covenanted to us, who promises his presence, his participation for life until the day of his return. So the question is, will you stake your hopes and confidence continually in this God? Will you stake your plans, your priorities, your activities this year again according to God? We can make strong commitments when we stake it on the great God that we have. Do you believe in this greatness that God possesses? William Carey, a famous missionary who did great things for God in India, was famously quoted for saying this, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expectations drives attempts. Because God can be expected to do great things, we can commit to attempting great things this year for him as well. Based on how God has been faithfully revealing his greatness from the past year, how should that change the, the things that you expect from him this year? Based on the greatness that you've seen in the past year, what should you be attempting with him this year? Or maybe you haven't had time to review your 2022 to recognize the greatness that was sprinkled, the grace that was evident, and the blessings that were truly felt. Because remembering what great things God has done, delivering the Red Sea, defeating Egypt, um, defeating the enemies despite being a wandering people, this drove Joshua's confidence that God is worthy of his strength and courageous commitment. How about you? What do you expect from God? Because what you expect from God will affect what you attempt for him this year. So that brings us to our first point. God's promises, presence, and participation inspire strong and courageous commitments. The second will be obedience. As we read on, we read on about the spies that Joshua sent. The spies went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. So as we return to the story, the author seemingly transports us from the Israelite camp watching Joshua and God talking and Joshua talking to the leaders. We are immediately transported to a new scene, straight into a little dark house. The camera was shifting and we are immediately captured into a conversation between a little woman and three royal, I don't know how many royal guards were sent. Who is this woman? 
Let's see what the author reveals to us about what he wants to show us about her. The first thing we notice is that the author introduces her to us not initially by her name, but primarily by her work. She was introduced as a prostitute whose name was Rahab. Primarily, the, the author wanted to show us her work was a prostitute. Her position was lowly. And the second thing we notice is that the scene was showing us that she was having a conversation with a few men. But what kind of men? It was men sent by the king. The author intentionally did not use the proper name of the king of Jericho either, usually King Nebuchadnezzar or King Solomon, but he was focusing our attention on, again, the position of the messengers. It was king against prostitute. We encounter a conversation between a high and a low place, an honorable and a dishonorable. And so the contrast was clear. What would you have done? High versus low. You would have given in. You would have submitted. But there's something that the author was showing us through this interaction. Let's see what happens next. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. This prostitute committed to helping and protecting these Israelite spies, defying the king and his messengers. And so... Rahab, as we see, was committing an act of treason. Recently, I watched a series on Netflix entitled Treason. And this character was shown to be an enemy of the state. The state would mobilize all its intelligence, CIA, international, Russian spies, lahat papadala nila because of this person who committed treason. And that's a big crime. And treason is defined as the act of betrayal of trust. Rahab had just betrayed her whole nation, her whole people. And she was directly summoned by the king and she clearly defied it face to face, lied to the king. So this endangered not just the nation and her people, this endangered herself, her life, and her whole family. And remember how the author introduced this scene to us. It was a prostitute against a king. What do you think would be the reaction of a king to a lying, treason-committing prostitute? Why would Rahab do such a thing? Her life as it is was fine. She was living within the confines and safety of her people and of her king. She was living in the fortified city. She had no reason to commit such an act to protect foreigners against her people. She was in safety, and now she chose to put herself in danger. Why? We found out what convictions led her to behave this way in the next verses. Before the men lay down, she came up to them. The, the spies, she went up to the spies on the roof and said to the spies, I know 
that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You see, church, this was a confession of faith. In this section of verses, we are watching a foreigner, a lowly foreigner, a prostitute, confessing her faith in a God she did not know, but now she knew. A faith she knows not because she grew up in Israel following the laws of the Lord. This was a faith that came from hearing of the testimonies of the works of God, what he has done in and for his people. And she puts her faith and confesses her faith in that God. At this point, you must note that Israel was not yet a nation. They were not respected as a nation. They were just a traveling people. They were in between lands, so they're not really respected yet. They were nomads. However, in their journey in the wilderness, they had so much victory. Imagine the Red Sea parting for a people. Imagine defeating the giant nation of Egypt. These glories, these victories were spreading amongst the people among them. The nations that were established were being defeated. So the works of God was being told from neighbor to neighbor, from nation to nation, from people to people. And Rahab was saying, your story of how the Lord has delivered you melts the people's hearts. And now I am confessing that your God is the God of heavens above and of the earth beneath. This was a personal confession. I believe in your God. Here we are seeing a first-hand conversion. We are seeing a first-hand salvation. Rahab was turning away from her structures of safety, from her gods, from her religion, from her safety of the nation of the king, to entrusting herself to the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of the heavens above and of the earth beneath. So the act of faith in protecting the people, the spies from the king, endangering her own life, putting her family and her own life in peril, was driven by the convictions of her faith. Faith without action is dead, and faith does not count the cost, is only convenience. What was Rahab staking her life on? How did her faith express itself? Rahab turns to the spies and says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the spies said to her, our life for yours even to death. 
If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. This was a person of faith staking her life on the word of God and on the trustworthiness of God's deliverance. I don't know how the Lord will save me. I live in the land of the king who is pursuing me, who I just lied to. But I will commit my life, my life of my family, my father, my parents, my, my brothers and sisters and their kids into the hands of the Lord. May the Lord deal kindly with me. My confidence is not in the king. My confidence, I turned to the God of heaven and of earth. And this is what it was said about Rahab in the book of Hebrews now in the New Testament and James in the New Testament. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. The book of Hebrews recognizes that it was by faith that Rahab welcomed the spies. In the same way, it says in James, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? What was this telling us? It was characterizing Rahab as a person of faith who not just confesses that she believes in the God of Israel, the God that, ah, uh, yes, he is the God of heaven, he's the God of earth, but she put her faith in action. She expressed her faith by putting her life on the line, staking her safety, staking what she, she knew was secure, and recognize, Lord, you are my security. I will put my stakes on you instead of what the physical structures tell me. She had turned to God in word and in deed. Her mouth confessed her faith. Her actions expressed her faith. Her faith confession, her confession of faith led to her expressions of faith. This justified that her faith was real. She put her hands where her mouth were in God alone. A living faith is one that stakes itself in a life of obedience to God. Rahab's act of faith was driven by a confession of her faith. She had an inward conviction. She had an inward belief that helped her give her the confidence to obey God and spare his people. And she committed continually to obey God in spite of the potential consequences. This tells us that God's promises, presence, and participation inspire strong and courageous obedience. That is, was what Rahab showed us. Because God is to be trusted. Because he has shown his faithfulness to his people in the desert, in the wilderness, in Egypt. I will trust in him instead of what I have here. I will obey no matter what the cost might be. Many Christians today struggle not with belief. They confess with their mouth. Yes, I know Jesus is Lord. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. We all believe, but very few obey. Very few stake their lives in obedience to God. Why? To confess is not costly. To say you're a Christian on a Sunday, to say you're a Christian on, on, a, on a sheet, what's your religion? You put Christian. It doesn't cost anything. So very few obey because obedience always costs you something. A sense of security, a sense of safety, a sense of confidence 
it costs you those things to obey God, to do things in a way unpopular. In, in, in a way that might be stupid to your neighbors and to your friends. In a way that doesn't inspire confidence in you yourself. Hindi ako magaling eh, kaya hindi ko gagawin. Hindi naman ako marunong. Iba na lang. Why? We fail to obey, but we say we, we love God. Let me tell you a confession. One of the truths that I confess with my mouth to believe is that God is a sure provider. Of course, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say that. I'm supposed to believe in that. However, in the past year, the Holy Spirit was revealing to me that that belief, that confession was faulty. It was incomplete. How did I tell? How did the Spirit show me that my belief, my confession did not match my expressions? I noticed that though I confessed with my lips that he was a provider, I still catch myself being tight-fisted when I see people in need. What does that tell me? It tells me that my faith is here, but it's not in here. It means I say I believe he will provide for me, but truly I do not believe it because I cannot let go of this because of my fear that nothing will come back to me. Nothing will, I will not have enough for my family, for myself. So I'll keep this even when God is telling me to let go. Because I trust in this provision rather than that provider. There are many ways that we do this. We say he is sovereign and yet we are worrying about every single detail every single day. We say he is the God who builds his church, but every day we are anxious about what to do for the church, how to pray for the church, how to, how to work for the church. It's one thing to be passionate to be working for God. It's another thing to be doing God's work instead of trusting him. God's promise, presence, and participation inspire strong and courageous commitments and it also inspires strong and courageous obedience. And as we move to the last, we can say that God's promise, presence, and participation inspire strong and courageous discoveries. I believe many of you have either hoped to go on a date with someone or you've already married the one you wanted to go on a date with or you've imagined going on a date with someone you really like. In each of these scenarios, there's a difference. You see, going on a date with someone is totally different from being on a date with him or her. In actually going on a date, we have experience, we have interaction, and a growing sense of intimacy within the conversation, within watching and observing the person. We are gathering and discovering new and exciting things about the other person. These things actually lead us to be more excited. Oh, grabe, she likes this pala. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to her about that in the next date. Ganyan din ako with my wife. With every date, I get to know her and I'm falling even more in love and in more interest of her. Plus points. So the last part of the message of today, Joshua 2, shows us this same thing between the Israelites and their God. They were about to go on a strong and courageous discovery of God. 
Then the two spies returned as we read on. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua immediately. And they told him all that had happened to them. And this is their report. They said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This was their observation report. This was their discovery. But their discovery wasn't truly just about the land or the people. The discovery was more rooted and meant to show us something about God and his word. Why? We remember in Joshua 1 verse 5 and 13, the words of God. He promised Joshua this, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. So the spies report, when they returned to Joshua, they discovered that what the Lord said to Joshua had come true. The people's hearts in Jericho were melting. They could not stand against Israel, for they were afraid of the glory of the God that was with them. The land was being willingly given over out of fear of this God, the God of Israel. This last point is a meaningful conclusion and lesson to the first parts of the story. Remember, the first part, God had given Joshua a promise, a covenant, a word, and Joshua fully and str strongly commits himself in the way of the Lord. The second, Joshua sent out a conquest, an expedition of two spies, and they discovered Rahab was obeying God. And this was an act of obedience in itself. Joshua sending out the two spies was him obeying God and what God has said. And what did the commitment and the ob obedience lead to? It led to a discovery that God was true to his word and true to his people. What he said will happen, what he promises to be and to do, he does. So when the spies encountered Rahab and what she confessed, her faith, her melting to turn in, in faith to God, this was a confirmation to Israel that their God was already on the move, just like he promised Joshua. Joshua staked his commitment and obedience to God's word. And that led them to discover that indeed the Lord is true. They discovered that the Lord can be trusted. They discovered that the Lord can be relied upon. God's promise, presence, and participation inspire strong and courageous discoveries. But wait, let's back up for a bit. Let's flip the script. Let's change the ending. What would have happened if Joshua, after he had received the word from God, the renewing of the covenant, simply sat and delayed and thought about it for years after years or months after months? What would have happened? Probably at some point he would have gotten up and decided, okay, let's go. So maybe, maybe, maybe God is real. Let's go. The same delay that would have happened would have also delayed his and the Israelites' discovery about God and their potential growing confidence. 
You see, this commitment and obedience cycles lead to discoveries, and these discoveries grow your confidence in God that inspires new commitments, new obediences that lead to new discoveries that lead you to have more confidence to commit again another year to obey God so that you have more discoveries and commit to him another year. And the more you delay each part of these cycles, the more it's harder to commit to God the next year. It's harder to obey God the next year because you have not discovered that he can be trusted, that his word is sure because you have hesitated. You have been stuck meditating. Should I or should I not? Should I or should I not? This is the trust and obey song. Trust then obey. It doesn't mean that we think mindlessly when I receive the word from God, I just go. No, but there are some of us who get stuck in committing but never obey. Okay, Lord, it's a new year. I will trust you. But we go on living the same way. Our hearts are not in obedience to him. Our priorities are not in obedience to him. He tells you to love your wife better. Okay, Lord, I'll exit the Sunday school, uh, a Sunday service and love him better. But you don't obey. Therefore, you don't discover the fruitfulness, the life that is promised in obedience. You don't experience the joy and the confidence that grows in living in the ways of God that has hampered your new commitments. Parang ayoko na mag-commit kay Lord this year kasi parang wala naman eh. Is it God's fault that you haven't seen or experienced Him? Or maybe you haven't put Him on the line to see what He can do for you. You have not sent spies into Jericho to see that there are Rahabs already there witnessing that God is at work where He is asking you to go. When was the last time you put God's word on the line by obeying him? When was the last time you took steps to commit yourself to his commands, to his ways, and waited for him to deliver you into the promise? If your answer to that question has been a long pause or a distant memory, maybe this year is a new year for you to commit, obey, and discover him anew to taste and see the sweetness that you have missed, the sweetness that would inspire new commitments, inspire new obediences, and lead you to new and fresh discoveries of the Lord our God, the God of heavens and the earth beneath that makes enemies tremble and foreigners turn to faith. The book of Joshua is a book that teaches that God is trustworthy and he is committed to us, to his people. His word is secure. It can be standed on. It can be relied upon. Commit your ways to the Lord. Obey his commands. And trust it will lead you to new and sweet discoveries of the sweetness of our God. This truth comes full circle when we realize that this Old Testament story as a whole actually points to Christ. You see, in Christ, this is fulfilled. It says, I am knocking at your doors for your commitments. Love me with all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And in doing that, you will gain lives for yourselves. In Christ, when we obey him, he promises he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. 
Those who call on him and turn away from what they have trusted will be satisfied. For he is the bread. He is the living water. He is the rock of ages. He is never shaken. And if you want to experience eternal life flowing in and through you now, then put your trust in Christ who is asking for your commitment and your obedience this day. Will you turn to him? Will you commit to him? Will you profess to trust in him and express that faith in an act of obedience in your year, in your plans, in your priorities? Will you put Christ on the line? Deliver me. I will turn away from the kings and I will trust in the king of kings. Will you do that as he is knocking on your heart today? As I end, let me share you a testimony and a confession. Last year, like I said, was our wedding. And throughout the whole year, I was computing our finances. And to be honest, almost break even lang. My savings and what will be spent. Meaning, I will be starting a family and a marriage with basically zero balance. And so I was a bit anxious. I believe that God will provide, but I was very tight-fisted. I was bracing for impact. But with my little imperfect faith, I pressed on. God is asking me to get married. All the signs point to that. All the discernments and the opportunities point to that. Therefore, Lord, I will go. Send spies to Jericho. And what report did I get? Over the Christmas break, I realized after the wedding has already finished. You know, his provisions even exceeded what we had spent. And so the commitment to obey God was truly worth it. I am bringing into 2023 a discovery that this God can be trusted. And that renews my confidence for what I will attempt to commit and obey for him. For I can surely expect great things for God. For I have seen in the past what he has done. I can expect what he has done in the past to continue to the future. Why? Because he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So church, I am not perfect. I also worry. I am also anxious about the new year. But I am choosing to commit and obey because I am looking to taste and see fresh new discoveries of what this true and trustworthy God can do when we rely on Him. I pray that you also make that commitment despite the roads never traveled. God's promise, presence, and participation should inspire our strong and courageous commitments, obedience, and lead to discoveries. How about you, church? What is your Jericho this year that you are apprehensive about? Where is, where is he inviting you to taste and see his goodness? Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I invite you, church, not to delay your obedience for too long. 
for you might also be delaying your God moment. You see, God has always delivered to those who trust in him. He has done that since the time of Joshua, Old Testament, until now. He has never failed. Will you trust in the God who has never failed? Let us pray. Oh God, you are the God who can be trusted. You are the God who is true. We confess, Lord, that we believe and confess that you are Lord in our lips, but you are not Lord in our hearts or in our lives. We confess our hypocrisy. We confess that our faith is double-sided. We confess that our lives are masked. We pretend that we trust and believe in you. We call you and sing to you that you are our Lord, but our lives neither show that nor express it. So today may we renew our commitments because you are the God who inspires strength and courage to commit, to stake our lives unto you. Like Rahab, who only heard of you, did not grow up knowing you, but your testimonies are true. They cannot be thwarted. They cannot be denied. We are left argumentless. So we have no way, Lord, of going except to put our stakes on you. And we trust that those who trust in you will fly, will soar this year. And as we navigate the climate of 2023, there are a lot of dark alleys and cold valleys. But Lord, we trust that there is light there where you call us. Inspire our confidence with your truth. Sanctify us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church, for worshiping with us online today. I pray that you have a meaningful weekend with the Lord and with your family and friends.